The heterogeneous nature of uveitis makes it a challenging disease to address. What happened at this year's AAO meeting that may help clinicians when they encounter uveitis? I'm Greg Notstein. I'm Scott Kriswanis. And this is New Retina Radio from Retina Today and Bryn Mawr Communications. Dr. Phoebe Lin joined us to review common mistakes in uveitis management that an AAO panel found worthy of highlighting. And Dr. Stephen Yeh sat down with us to discuss which emerging infectious diseases retina specialists need to know about. He talks Zika, Ebola, and a number of other pathologies. This is the final day of our AAO wrap-up. Stay tuned to hear from leaders in the field about their time on the lecture stage. This podcast is brought to you by Genentech Ophthalmology. At Genentech, science is just the beginning of innovation. Together with the ophthalmology community, Genentech is transforming the treatment of retinal disease to give people the vision to live. To learn more, visit gene.com slash ophthalmology. That's G-E-N-E dot com forward slash ophthalmology. Uveitis misdiagnosis and mismanagement can have catastrophic consequences. At this year's AAO Retina Subspecialty Day, Dr. Phoebe Lin sat on a panel that reviewed common mistakes in uveitis management and how to avoid them. Dr. Phoebe Lin is a vitreoretinal surgeon and uveitis specialist and an associate professor of ophthalmology at the Casey Eye Institute, Oregon Health and Science University in Portland, Oregon. Dr. Lin, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Tell me a little bit about the panel at AAO Subspecialty Day this year. The panel summarized um, one of the three mismanagement errors that we have in uveitis patients um, as uveitis specialists, uh, including um, misdiagnosis of uh, non-infectious uveitis as infectious uveitis and undertreatment in that scenario, um, misdiagnosis of uveitis when it's actually a masquerade, so not a uveitic entity at all. And then finally, and most importantly, uh, misdiagnosis of non-infectious uveitis when in fact it, it is infectious uveitis and treating with steroids in the setting of infectious uveitis, which is uh, a gross error that can result in loss of vision. Yeah, tell me a little bit more about what happens when some of these cases are mismanaged. So, for instance, when a patient who actually has infectious uveitis, such as viral retinitis or syphilitic or toxoplasmosis uveitis, are um, misdiagnosed as non-infectious uveitis, they can, by many of us, retina specialists, uveitis specialists, comprehensive ophthalmologists, be treated with steroids, either oral steroids or ocular steroids. Um, Both are detrimental in infectious uveitis, particularly in viral retinitis, because it can result in um, prolonged actually shedding of viral, for instance, agents, and, and can result in very rapid progression of disease resulting in blindness. Now, it seems like uh, some of these cases are pretty easy to misdiagnose or mismanage. Why is that? Is there something in the, the diagnosis process that's easy to miss? I think if you have a high suspicion for infectious uveitic agents, particularly in unilateral disease or in patients who are immunosuppressed in some way or another, for instance, they have diabetes or they're elderly patients or they have a history of some kind of cancer and and they have received chemotherapy, then you really wouldn't miss it even if you don't have a view. But that is the reason that people do miss these diagnoses is because most often they don't actually have a very good view to the retina. 
So they might have panuveitis, they might have anterior chamber cell, maybe even a granulomatous anterior uveitis, in addition to vitritis, you know, cells in the intermediate portion of the eye, and they can't see the retina very well. Or they'll just be very indolent disease because of the patient themselves being immunosuppressed, so they don't have rip-roaring um, uh, uveitis, um, and they can see the back of the eye, but it's very indolent um, and maybe far out in the peripheral retina. And for that reason, they perhaps are misdiagnosed with something like retinal vasculitis, but they actually have a necrotizing retinitis that, that gets missed. Are there a couple of rules of thumb or simple steps that uh, clinicians can revert back to so that they don't mismanage these cases from the beginning? Well, it's, it's all about clinical exam and suspicion as well as a, a good history. So it's a history and physical. It's basically the, it's, it's going back to the basics of, of being a clinician. And so examining the patient, asking them about their medical and medication history, um, as well as their, um, their kind of clinical acumen. And so, you know, there are telltale signs, obviously. When you see a necrotizing retinitis, even if it's far out in the periphery, you're thinking um, that it is a, an infectious uveitis. I mean, so there's not many, um, very few, in fact, um, non-infectious entities that, that present that way. And even if you were thinking on the differential diagnosis that you had a non-infectious entity that can present the same way as an infectious entity, you really have to treat them as an infectious case before you start them treating as a non-infectious case because the um, stakes are very high. Is there a particular case that was shared on the panel today that comes to mind that illustrates um, how mismanagement could lead to a poor outcome? Right. So all, all of the cases actually illustrated this. Dr. Sunil Srivastava at Cole Eye Institute, he um, presented a number of cases. Um, the first case uh, was a patient who was misdiagnosed with a central retinal artery occlusion in one eye, central retinal vein occlusion in the other eye, and actually ended up having um, very severe CMV retinitis. He was an immunosuppressed patient who had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and was treated with steroids for complications of what they thought was venous or arterial occlusive disease and ended up being actually an occlusive retinal vasculitis from CMV retinitis. And so that was um, grossly mismanaged with steroids and I think the patient lost one eye as a result of that before they were diagnosed with the correct entity. That case really underscores why it's so important to diagnose correctly from go and then also to manage correctly going forward. That's correct. So uh, it's really the burden of the physician who, um, to, if they think of a, an infectious entity on the differential diagnosis, to go ahead and test for it. And then they can even empirically treat that before they get the results of that testing um, before they go to something like steroids. So for instance, if you suspect in an individual who has um, panuveitis, you can't see the back of the eye very well, you suspect that they might have infectious disease but you're not quite sure because you can't see the retina, then you should just go ahead and test them by PCR for the viral entities, maybe toxoplasmosis if that's on your differential, um, before you treat them with something like local steroids. Um, and you can even treat them empirically with antivirals because the consequences of not treating or a delay in treatment are um, quite severe. Dr. Lin, thanks for summarizing the panel for us. Thank you. This podcast is supported by Genentech Ophthalmology. Genentech works with the ophthalmology community to advance the understanding of serious eye disease and develop new technologies to transform care. Let's partner in doing more for patients. Learn how at gene.com forward slash ophthalmology. That's G-E-N-E dot com forward slash ophthalmology. 
Retina specialists encounter many of the same diseases over and over again. AMD, diabetic eye disease, RVOs, you know the drill. Emerging infectious diseases, however, are easy to miss. Dr. Stephen Yeh discussed such pathologies at the AAO Retina Subspecialty Day. Dr. Yeh is the M. Louise Simpson Professor of Ophthalmology at Emory University in Atlanta, where he is also the director of uveitis and vasculitis. Dr. Yeh, thank you for speaking with us. Greg, it's good to be here. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Greg. What exactly is an emerging infectious disease? So an emerging infectious disease is a condition whose incidence has increased over the past two decades or actually threatens to increase in incidence in the very near future. These diseases are a growing threat to life, health, and prosperity, and many emerge from countries with poor health systems. Some of these include Ebola virus, Zika virus, of outbreak significance as we know from the media attention that was dedicated to these conditions several years ago. We'll get to some of those specific viruses in a minute, but can you explain to the audience why it's so important to understand these diseases as they relate to ophthalmology? Sure. So the World Health Organization actually has defined some high-priority pathogens likely to cause outbreaks in the near future. It turns out that many of these conditions, like Ebola, Zika, and some others, actually can lead to ophthalmic manifestations in both adults and in children in the case of Zika. So for that reason, we as retina specialists, uveitis specialists, and also the general ophthalmology community need to be able to understand and diagnose these conditions both for patients and also because we're very connected also to public health. There is a whole menu to choose from, so we'll only discuss a couple of the emerging infectious diseases right now. Could you give us a rundown of some of the emerging infectious diseases that retina specialists should be aware of? Sure. So. Because of global travel and the global interconnectedness with individuals coming from other countries, retina specialists need to be aware that there have been outbreaks of flavivirus, flavoviruses. Many of these are mosquito-borne uh, illnesses um, that uh, patients who are coming from endemic areas may have had these diseases in the past. And those would be things like Zika, dengue fever? That's correct. Yeah, so for Zika virus, for instance, can lead to ophthalmic manifestations, predominantly in infants who are born to mothers who are infected with Zika during pregnancy. These infants can have uh, microcephaly, uh, I mean, it's a decreased circumference of their skull, as well as macular changes, macular atrophy, optic nerve disease that can lead to visual changes. And really a leading group out of Brazil, Camila Ventura, and their group has classified and characterized this disease process. Now within Africa, Currently, there's an ongoing outbreak in the Democratic Republic of Congo of Ebola. And so Ebola virus disease also can lead to sight-threatening complications from uveitis. And it's important to know this because we also previously identified the Ebola virus can reside within the eye at long-term follow-up and persist in the eye fluid, which has ramifications both for cataract surgeons as well as vitreoretinal surgeons as well. What should an ophthalmologist be looking for when it comes to Ebola in the eye? So really it comes down to the patient's travel history and whether they're, fr they're coming from an Ebola endemic area. And this again is not to induce stigma to where we don't want to take care of the patient or have any fear, uh, but to really understand and be aware of the public health threats uh, from, uh, other, from other countries that are currently uh, ongoing. With respect to Ebola, we really think, need to think about this if a patient's coming from DR Congo, particularly Eastern DR Congo, and have a history or have signs and symptoms of uveitis, as well as some retinal scarring. 
I understand that Marburg virus disease is somewhat similar to Ebola. Can you describe that to us? Yeah, sure. So Marburg virus is in the filovirus family of viruses, and and it's uh, it, it's had outbreaks in Uganda, and because it shares some of these similarities, it turns out that Marburg virus has also been found in the eye and can also lead to uveitis, sometimes in association with high intraocular pressure. So this is a condition that we think of and should be on our radar, particularly if we, do, if we see an outbreak of Marburg virus in different parts of Africa. What role does a retina specialist play in all of this? Well, as we continue to characterize these diseases around the world and the World Health Organization continues to identify outbreaks and try to put these outbreaks out, I think it's important as retina specialists to continue to, to figure out how to understand ophthalmic disease surveillance, understand the disease, the retinal manifestations, as well as, well as the inflammatory eye disease that may occur in patients long after that they've, they've survived these acute, acute illnesses. Beyond that, I think it's, we, we, we live in a world that, again, is increasingly interconnected, and it's really important for us to, to reach out and be able to establish healthcare systems that can also build vision healthcare capacity in this region so we can also learn about these diseases before they come to our shores. Are there any other outbreaks that we need to be aware of from an ophthalmology standpoint? So one outbreak that's of public health relevance right now is there's an ongoing measles outbreak where there's been over 1,200 cases in 31 states over the past 10 months or so. This is actually the greatest number of cases since the early 1990s. The majority of these cases actually have come from an outbreak in New York. And this is important because there are ophthalmic manifestations associated with measles as well. Uh, the majority of these were identified and classified in the 1980s by Al Summer and others from Johns Hopkins actually in Africa. And these included corneal ulceration, dry eyes, and severe corneal manifestations. But in the late, late stages of the disease, patients can actually develop a retinitis or retinal infection because measles can actually occur in the central nervous system and cause a condition called subacute sclerosing panencephalitis, which is a central nervous system manifestation due to measles virus persistence. These viruses do some really unusual things, and part of their unusual behavior is actually to persist in the central nervous system and even recur within the retina. So I think that's one disease outbreak and one disease that we should keep in mind even as we speak currently. Excellent. Dr. Ye, thank you so much for speaking with us. Thanks, Greg. Thanks, Scott. Appreciate it. And that's it for this episode of New Retina Radio. Join us next time we have an episode. And in the meantime, head to iwire.news and retinatoday.com to catch all the latest updates. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, or Stitcher, and leave a review if you like what you heard. And tune in each Wednesday afternoon to iWire TV. Thanks for joining us.